Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to the least meaningful, but probably the most eventful game of the weekend, as Liverpool leave it very, very late to beat Spurs at Anfield. We'll talk about the issues regarding Jurgen Klopp and the referee Paul Tierney as well. Bournemouth look like they've guaranteed their Premier League survival by thrashing Leeds at the Vitality. Are Leeds United sleepwalking into relegation to the Championship? Heartbreak for Nottingham Forest as they're stunned by Brentford, but could Steve Cooper have done better to manage the game? Are Southampton completely gone after their defeat at Newcastle United? We'll talk about Roy Hodgson's resurgence at Crystal Palace as they edge a seven-goal thriller with West Ham. And Erling Haaland reaches 50 goals, but there's one teammate we need to talk about at Manchester City. As well. This is the game. Hello again. Welcome back to the game podcast. I'm Hugh Wizencroft alongside Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, and Tony Cascarino. And we start with the, the the least meaningful match of the weekend, which was probably the most entertaining match of the weekend. There are, I think, some more important fixtures to talk about. But, you know, I think for Liverpool, it was an important three points. And for Spurs, well, I, I guess we can see their season kind of coming to a close in terms of that Champions League race, especially. But um, look, it was a dramatic finish. Diogo Jota's injury time winner, giving Liverpool victory at Anfield after Tottenham looked on course to salvage a point despite being 3-0 down inside 15 minutes. The result leaves Liverpool fifth, seven points off fourth, having played a game more. So still unlikely for a top four place for them. But Jurgen Klopp's side keep on fighting. Um, but we're going to start, I think, from the Spurs angle because it was a horrific start once again. I mean, despite the end of the game, and we'll get to it, being, what, five goals down after 21 minutes, was it, against Newcastle United, 2-0 down at half-time at home against Manchester United in midweek, 3-0 down after 15 minutes this time around. Basically, Spurs just can't defend, right? So we'll come to Liverpool and, and what their defence was like, but ultimately, this is what is costing Tottenham Hotspur points, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of things costing Tottenham Hotspur points. But I think, I think... I think kids across the land for their GCSEs and so on should be asked why this keeps on happening to Spurs. Because, you know, history is about learning from your mistakes and Spurs just keep on repeating them and repeating them. And they know, they know perfectly well they're, they're quite good at responding to adversity this season. They've grabbed points late in games. 
but they seem to only be able to find an urgency, an ability to string passes together and a semblance of a shape after they've been humiliated. So it's just fascinating what must go on behind the scenes there with the coaching staff, which I know keeps changing on a regular basis. But they can see it. They, they, it's almost like it's not fair. They, their puzzle's really easy to solve because it's, it's blatant. What we have is a problem that we shake, we start shakily, but we have enough quality to try and pull something out the hat at the end. So, how can we eradicate those first twenty minutes, half hour, first half problems? And the, the fact they're not able to do that is almost spooky. It's really strange. It's as though. It's as though the process of setting a team up and preparing them for a match is beyond anyone who's in charge. And I think whoever was commentating, it might have been Gary Neville suggested, but I think a lot of people did suggest, you know, the onus is actually on the players for, for starting so badly. I can't believe players do it on purpose. It's got to be, it's got to be a fear from the coaching staff that is transmitted to the pitch so that they don't do what they should do wholeheartedly enough. So there was no shape from Spurs for that first half. But almost more importantly, no desire to play football. It's as though they're believing their own myth and that they can't play football when they start a match. But I can't... Even even really, really bad teams, the, the ones in the bottom three, aren't as bad as Spurs at the start of a game. Gregor, do you agree? You have to, don't you? Well, to a point, I, I do think it's on the players. I think part of it is about belief. I think that it's been such a discombobulating season, if that's the right word for it. Like, they've been battered from pillar to post by managers, by the crowd, by everyone. I think that's part, that's part of it. But I think it looks like a lack of belief in what they're they're being asked to do. And, you know, part of that is perhaps too, like, they've been such a negative team for a long while as well and then it looks like Ryan Mason's trying to slightly say no come on let's let's go and take the game to the opposition but they're not really they don't really know they know how they're doing it uh, you know they they kind of pressed and then they left big gaps yeah. particularly in midfield and then that just leaves the the back three you know kind of wildly exposed um, and particularly against Liverpool because often if they're following players into midfield or they're you know they get dragged. They have to they have to maintain a shape, and they didn't do that at all, particularly in the first fifteen twenty minutes. So it's just it's been a really peculiar season for Spurs. I think it's hard to actually you know find any logic in it. I think, yeah, but, but, but I think, but but, but, but Gregor, yeah, I, I accept everything you say about lack of belief, and it's been a really really difficult season for them. But it's been a much more. But they've been on the cusp of Champions League football, and they've been in the Champions League. They have status that should boost their confidence. You look at a team like. Like Nottingham Forest, who've got this awful, you know, away record. And yet, on Saturday, they were able to set up properly for the most of that match. They started well, i.e. they have every excuse to have a lack of belief in how to defend away from home. And yet, all you have to do is say, right, just don't, don't, just keep your shape. All of you defend together. If we get counter-attack, great, but let's just concentrate. Let's just keep strong at the back and concentrate. If Nottingham Forest can do it to start a game when their belief must be shot, 
Like, why? Why is it? Why is it? Why are we being more? Oh, bless them! About a team that ought to have much more arrogance because of their pay and the fact that they're on the cusp, still on the cusp. I think. I mean, Hugh says it's a meaningless game. There's still possibility of Champions League football. It's just not the way they're playing. They also have wildly erratic individuals in, like, in that too. You know, you can't you can't look at it all as a collective. They have Christian Romero, they have Poro, who's like just doesn't look like he knows how to defend. Like, be that in terms of your positional sense or in like one v one duels. So the you have to throw that into the mix too. If you've got yeah. people who just go wildly off script, which Spurs have had for quite some time, all season definitely, then you're in trouble. I, I do think one of the issues for Spurs um, is just a lack of uh, cohesion because ultimately half the team are doing one form of defending as a team, if you like, which is they've dropped off and then the front three or four have pressed on. That's left that massive ga- that, that massive gaping hole in the middle of midfield. So do you think they're not being told what to do? I mean, I wouldn't surprise they, you. They've what? got a, another guy in charge, Ryan Mason, who He's not an should idiot, be there. He should be able to say that, shouldn't he? All it is, though, is it, I think it's just an indicator of where the quality is in the team. So the forward players are happy to go and press on. They think they're good enough to go and create mm. pressure. And they are the players that have excelled when Tottenham have been scoring goals. The others are fearful. The midfielders are fearful. The defenders are fearful. And their immediate reaction is to, for their own safety, drop off. Uh, that for me is, well, the, they, is the difference Harry Kane's happy to go and press Son's happy to go and put pressure on Richarlison but you know the likes of Romero Skip etc they don't want to be exposed so it's just a I think it's a confidence thing that the forward players seem to have at the moment and the defenders definitely don't you see Kane and Richarlison looking around them, you know and Son almost with a, a smile on their face like what are we meant to do because these lot back there are just so terrible well they've scored 63 goals in the Premier League now, that's still not the highest number, but it's still quite a lot. Um, I would disagree with Gregor on the player's side because I've always felt, Gregor, that the best managers I ever played for gave me instructions on my job. Now, and universal in a team, they go around everybody. I feel like, I look at Spurs and I think, how can you go behind so early in a game and make errors that just common sense... You, you could negate. You know, I just don't understand. Look, I said at the start, start of the season on Spurs, their back line will not make Champions League football because they, I don't believe, I think the, you know, the desire to put uh, Eric Dyer into a team uh, and then getting the England squad and how he was playing the start of the season, totally, totally, uh, it was just, I just thought, that's a lie, it's a myth. He's not played that well even early on in the season. And I look at, I totally agree with Poro. I think Poro's, I mean, I laughed because I know we're going to talk later about Brentford, and you, you was at Brentford, uh, Alisson, and Serge Oreo is playing right back, and you're thinking they've gone from him to getting Judd Spence in, uh, and then you go, Emerson's not good enough, and then you get Poro, who's as bad as any of them defensively. So he's again, all- £39 million. Pounds. Yeah. yeah, in the summer he'll cost. Oh, well, I I just don't get how they're. Well, you could. There's lots of things wrong with Spurs, but there is also a side. And I thought Gary Neville made a really valid point again, and it's something I've spoke about in 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 the way that football's evolved over the recent years and the laws of the game. You have to be attack minded and a pressing team to be successful. If you look at all the teams at the top, that's all what they're attempting. No one's being pragmatic, conservative, and getting much success. Look at Napoli win the league, like they, they they're going to do in uh, Serie A, and it's a common theme. And I think watching Spurs sit off a team knowing that Liverpool is what they do at their best being allowed to literally get their numbers forward and getting attack forward positions 
that'll cause you problems. So it was no surprise to me that... Uh, we'd have said before the game, will this be a nice-scoring game? Well, I don't think any of us would have gone for a nil-nil. Yeah. The, the, the reason I come back to belief is that... Look at look at the goals I've conceded in recent weeks. It's all passive, passive defending. There's been yeah. so many times where teams have been allowed to... like Players have been allowed to stroll through the box or crosses have gone into the box. There's no one around them. It's like... I think it's players looking, feeling like they're looking out for themselves looking out for number one they don't want to be exposed they don't want to be the fall yeah, guy yeah, like yeah. Davidson Sanchez is so that's what I mean when I say belief there's like yeah, like, there's there's a fear of like of, make, of making a howler being the guy who's going to be called out next because it's been that kind of season for them lifeboat scenario isn't it yeah, Gregor yeah. Yeah. I went to the game at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium Manchester United giving up a two goal lead on Thursday night a bit like the game at Anfield as well you know I absolutely tore Spurs to shreds at half time and yet at full time, I said they could have easily won this game as well. Tottenham showed so much fight in the second half on Thursday night. They showed so much fight in the second half at Anfield. Got the equaliser, obviously conceded a late goal. I won't say the word that all Spurs fans are looking out for, but what is it about them that suddenly means that after they're a couple of goals down, this isn't, it isn't just a, a late thing, this has been throughout the season. They only really start playing, only really start running around, stop being passive when the game's almost gone from them, if not completely gone from it, them. It follows my theory that Alison disagreed with earlier in the season that there's no easier scoreline than to be 2-0 down. Because the shackles come off. There's no pressure. Yeah. That's why. it's not. They don't deserve credit. Keep, keep reaching for that Roy Keane uh, quote. You know, it's easy to play when you're 2-0 down. It's harder to play when you're like holding on to a leader where it's nip and tuck. Mm. When you're 2-0 down, isn't there's it, nothing to lose. Isn't it the influence of Mourinho and Conte, though, who were very negative and didn't want Spurs to be flamboyant. They wanted to instill a sense of let's be cautious and ease your way into a game. So they're doing something that's against their nature because it was shouted at them by Conte and Mourinho. So they don't, they are, because I think the word of the season is actually passive. I don't think anyone used it a year ago. And now everyone who's failing is passive. It's because they're passive. You're absolutely mm. right. It's the word. But they're passive because they were told to be contained. They don't, they don't know how to do that. They're not built for that because, as we've all discussed, they have great forward players, so exploit them. So, And then it's only when you've got nothing to lose that you remember who you truly are and start attacking. So, OK, let's get this right, OK? So a manager or a coach on the sidelines, <laughs> he's losing 2-0. Now he decides to get brave. He decides <laughs> to make changes to make their team get yeah. back into a game. Okay, so he only gets brave when you're losing two nil. Yeah. So as much as we can say on the players, but you see the substitutions that come on and how many and how much it makes a difference in a match. Well, maybe if you just started with that intent, you might have not been two nil down. Yeah, they deserve no credit whatsoever. <laughs> I'm, see, I'm being not even a little bit. They no. hit the woodwork three times. Look, you could have scored six goals at Anfield on another day. I mean, you don't get any credit for that. I'm just saying they don't get any credit for a response at 3-0 down. Okay. As I mentioned, um, Spurs could have scored a lot of goals in this match. Um, so we've analysed their defending. What's going on with Liverpool's? Um, and I've got to say, it's four straight wins in the Premier League for Liverpool. The question still has to be there as to whether they could force their way into the most unlikely of top four qualifications. What do we think? Two Liverpool fans in the room. No chance. 
<laughs> and I've said to you, no chance for Aylong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no chance whatsoever are Liverpool going to make the top, top four. Even if they were three points, four points behind, they ain't going to make it. I thought we saw yesterday two ridiculously bad teams defending. <laughs> I mean, Liverpool didn't come, come out of any glory in this game. Yeah, we know, it's like I said in the, earlier... You know, this was never going to be one nil to either side. It was going to be a goal fest, and who was going to make the most mistakes? And the right back areas in both teams. You know, hearing people wax lyrical about Trent. Well, yeah, we all can. If you know, if he's going to get the ball and um, and and be adventurous, he can cause absolute havoc. But also, the team gets aff- affected by his position. I think Liverpool need to think of, yeah, well, if we're going to play Trent there, let's go and buy a new right back. Someone who can actually defend and fill a hole and not put Canate getting stretched out there all the time because they were wide open, Liverpool as well. So it was like two teams who play um, in a similar vein as in how they concede goals. And I've watched Liverpool concede a lot of goals this year in many different competitions. And they have, by the way, there's been a lot of teams that have missed loads of chances against Liverpool because they do give up chances regularly. I'm sort of hoping it's like, the hope that kills you. No, but was it 2018 um, when Alisson scored a header yeah. against West Brom <laughs> and that got Liverpool into the top four and then they went on and dominated beautifully? Maybe maybe that's what Jota's goal represents, that amazing, you can't bottle it, really, it's a magical who's, moment. Who's and place it, are they taking? It will... It'll, It'll... I don't think Man United are playing that well, to be honest. No, they'll get oh. over the lane, though. Yeah, game in hand as well. Yes, it's not. It's not in Liverpool's hands, but um, I like. I, I like to think a moment like that has to mean something because they generally do for Liverpool when they it grab means Spurs something are an at the end. Joke. <laughs> I don't know how you can drive to once you've come back to do that. Like, well, it's probably because you've thrown on Lucas Moura to play as a wing back. Yeah. Which, you know, is understandable when you're trying to chase the game. But I don't then... think Romero helped him out at all because I'm not really sure what he was expecting Mora to do. You, you just don't it. play that ball there. No, I know, but I, he, just I, 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 it looked like initially, instead of the, the first time volleyed pass, you know, I know it was a cushion back, but that Mora was going to control it anyway. It didn't look like he was about to volley it down the other end of the pitch. So I thought Romero would have at least tried to drop off if he's to give him a little it, angle to roll it back. If he's going to control it, he needs to open his body out and do it down the line. You never control there was a the player ball there. inside. But there was a player there. You can open the, And there was could, a player inside. No, the player was a player in front of him. It wasn't outside him. You could open his body out and control it wide and try and play it down the, chan- play it down the line or something. So you just don't do anything inside there. But I'm a fullback. He's a winger. Yeah. That was ridiculous, to be honest. It was. It was a good finish from Jota. It was a very good finish. Yeah, and from Jota's Jota. like we have to acknowledge he's as retired. It's funny, you know, all the all the myriad problems that Liverpool have had over the last you know nine months or whatever. All the players you think, oh, Craig, you've you know been missing him, or he's not, he's hmm. been subpar. All this Jota's hardly been mentioned, like really, and his impact has been like you know remarkable since he's returned. I don't um, think any of us would think. Liverpool can't get goals. They clearly can. It's a bit like saying Tottenham couldn't get goals. They, they mirror each other in many ways, Liverpool and Spurs, as in their forwards will get them goals. You know, we know that Son and Kane can. And we know that Salah, Yota, uh, as you mentioned, Diaz and others uh, can get was, goals. Everyone spoke about them. Darwin coming in. How was his impact? Gakpo coming in. Luis Diaz being missing. Mm. Salah's kind of, you know, if he was going off the boil for a little while. All these things were talk, spoken yeah. about. Yota. Like even before before he before his injury, he's he's been a, an absolutely outstanding buy for Liverpool. So yeah. his return has been huge for them. 
So we're not expecting big things. It, it's clear from either of these sides for the rest of the season, but there were some juicy things to talk about from the game. Uh, maybe we can box this one off quickly. Did Oliver Skip deserve a red card? Seemed to get a little bit of a toe poke, but his foot did come down very heavily on the top of the foot slash ankle. Would he have been sent off if you were the ref, Tony? Yes. Yeah. I'm glad it's been addressed as well because all the talk afterwards and the Basil Forty moment of even if our younger listeners are not knowing who Basil Forty is, uh, of smacking of, the, it was funny. Um, I, I thought, yeah, and I thought it got left out by lots of people after the game and didn't comment on, you know, you got Ryan Mason saying that, you know, he shouldn't have even been on the pitch. Well, the player, obviously the challenge on Skip late on by Jota, Jota I thought Skip's challenge was a red card and I'm, I'm really conservative on red cards. I don't, I think a lot of them are, you know, it's given out too easily. And yet that one, I thought that's a poor challenge. It was, that was dangerous, one of and very dangerous it was red. Mm, okay, oh, anyway, yeah. straight, not for me. Forward. Anyone unbiased in the room? <laughs> not for me, Gregor. Not for me. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a forceful. What do you mean, not for you? It's not. It was a forceful tackle, and the ball bobbled up. He caught it, and then his follow through was it's a yellow card and a foul. It's a bad height, Gregor. It's not it's that a high. bad height. It's not that high. Oh, I, I, I'm. Hey, I'd love to. I'm. I'm always on your side. Uh, like as in my thinking around penalties. Oh, sorry, penalties are uh, red cards, and I thought it was sorry. Look, it was on the line because it's one of those ones where you know he's trying to put a bit more on it than he has to. You know, he's yeah, going in yeah, forcefully yeah, with yeah. inside his foot. But because he clips the ball and because it's not that high, it's, I think it's a yellow. Did the same at Newcastle. Same similar challenge at Newcastle. He, like, he likes it, yeah. He, like, he, 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 he does exactly the same he, at Newcastle. If he didn't get a toe poke onto the ball, I think it would have been a red card. I agree, but, but he, it, does. he did. He did so. So he saves himself. I would have given him a yellow for that as well. But I think it was one of those, maybe an orange card, because immediately, as soon as I saw it, messaged all my mates. That's a red, surely. And then, you know, I've had some time to think about it. And after seeing the assassination attempt on him a little bit later on in the game, <laughs> I decided that I would downgrade it to a yellow because Diogo Jota's challenge on Oliver Skip is the most blatant red card of the entire season. The fact that that was not given is a disgrace. The VAR... The official at Stockley Park has questions to answer, let alone Paul Tierney. How can you watch that video and not at least suggest to the referee that they should take a second look over at the screen? How? What are these officials being instructed to do? I mean, this is the, uh, you know, you can box this one off as about the eight millionth rant on VAR that we've had on this podcast, but <laughs> I'm sorry. Because that is def reason is, is because that's definitely the sort of challenge that you can only judge when you're there in the heat of the moment and you can see the pace of the players and the intent of the players no it was not this it wasn't thuggery it was he was trying to reach the ball you don't have to you don't skip sort no. of lowered his head at exactly the wrong second it wasn't lowered it to what height five no, but foot it, three but it, stopped, I mean, it was high it stopped well shot is only tiny it stopped <laughs> it just I just don't. I didn't see that as a red because I, I didn't see there was. I didn't think it was very forceful. The podcast is over, guys. That's all we've got time for today. Well, Peter Walton we, we can, in today's time says it wasn't uh, a red. Well, listen, I, I, listen, Peter Walton. I'm, I'm sure he's a great. Own. I'm sure he's a lovely guy, and that's why we've hired him for the time. So I won't say any negative, anything negative about his refereeing uh, opinions. But but, it's wrong, but. I, I disagree. Let's put it that way. I disagree. Oh, do, do you know what occurred to me? And when he made the challenge, or to I kept thinking, wonder if he's done done. Jiu-Jitsu or has he done my tie? <laughs> He's got his foot really high. 
Uh, have you well, ever he's... met anybody who, who, can, who can do jiu-jitsu or a Mai Tai? Yeah, yeah, they my uncle. They can put their foot at the taekwondo, top of doors, can't they? Yeah, yeah they taekwondo, can... black belt. Yeah, and Shout I just, Uncle Barry. I just thought, what? Yeah, but it, lo- it looked like one of those as well because he didn't... We were speaking about this before. Normally, if you're going to win, like flick the ball away or something, you lead with your toe. Mm. Like, it was a full heel, like a, a heel to the forehead. Yeah. Like, it was a red card. Mm. Because it ma- there's things that matter, like where it is on the pitch, whether you can see him coming, yeah. and... Both of those two things reflect badly on Jota's decision to stick his heel into yeah. Skip's head. He was only little, he wouldn't expect it to <laughs> reach such, anyone's face. Right. Such a clear and blatant <laughs> red card as I have ever, well, ever seen. I don't disagree with Alison very often, but 1980s football, Alison, is, uh, I think you're wrong on this one now. In the <laughs> 1980s, Jota wouldn't get a game. He'd be considered too slight and short. It was, it was, it was a bad one, to be perfectly honest. Um, and, and what you know, it's one of those. The only thing that I'd say is, you know, over, you know, he can't get a red card because he's had a yellow, for example. I just think those are, that's a ridiculous law that we've got in our game about, retrospective banning and stuff had the referee given nothing to Jota he could have been subsequently given a, a ban and a red card retrospectively he can't because the officials saw it and it was a yellow I, I do think that's silly because ultimately endangering an opponent in a pretty severe way should still be punished I, I still think that should be the case um, but there you go he probably will be back out there in Liverpool's next game unless something really drastic happens it has kind of led to a, a a bit of a debate after the game. Um, aside from the fact that when Diogo Jota scored the winner, Jurgen Klopp was in the face of the fourth official, did his hammy, so he might not appear in Liverpool's next game. But I think after the game, the comments were just a little bit... For me, it just leaves a bad taste in the mouth because I think Klopp has shown himself to be a great guy on so many occasions that when you see him doing this stuff, it just lets him down because I think people will gravitate towards the negativity when it comes to anyone. That's just what football's like. But, you know, these moments just let him down as a character because you see you see the great stuff about him getting the crowd going at all the right times during the game and some of the things that he brings to football. And then afterwards... You know, I hate the idea that a, a, a manager of a Premier League football club as great as Liverpool is going to come out and say, oh, not this ref again. He's got something against us, you know, basically leading the fans down a garden path towards this individual referee is biased against our football club is not a healthy place for football to go, in my opinion. Um, but there you go. The Liverpool manager claiming that Paul Tierney spoke to him in an inappropriate manner on the touchline when he gave him the yellow for that celebration after Jota's winner. The PGMOL have disputed that version of events. They say in a statement today that match officials in the Premier League are recorded in all games via a communication system and having fully reviewed the audio of referee Paul Tierney from today's fixture, we can confirm he acted in a professional manner throughout, including when issued the caution to the Liverpool manager so therefore we strongly refute any suggestion that Tierney's actions were improper but it's just sad isn't it it's just sad well, it's not gonna it, this might go quite badly for Klopp now because it'll be there the audio will be there and he's gonna have to explain what exactly did you think you heard or have you made this up like what you know it's, he's in a sticky position now he clearly wouldn't have realised that the referee's been but, but do you know what it depends it depends, doesn't it? It depends on your levels. I mean, for all we know, he told Jurgen Klopp to shut up, which the PGMOL might think is absolutely acceptable and professional, and Jurgen Klopp thinks is. I mean, I don't totally think he would have come out with a statement. No, I know, no, I know that, up. but what I'm saying is we don't know what claim he's made. 
Do you see what I mean? And ultimately, he's the Liverpool manager. Maybe he expects a very high level of of professionalism that maybe the PGMOL don't agree with. Like it's, you know, if he is claiming that it was expletives, again, we've heard from players and ex-managers that there are officials that do use expletives when they talk to players and managers and some of them don't mind it, some of them do. So it has to be, you know, we're really going to have to find out what the exact words are for this to be clarified because we don't know what Paul Tierney said. Klopp was in a strange mood though. He was having a weird day. He, he really, really took offence. It seemed offense. like a normal day at the office, to No, be it was, yeah, he took offence at Ryan Mason as though he, he, he didn't want someone who's a caretaker to have that much sort of anger in them and aggression yeah. towards him. He didn't like it. it I mean, Ryan, Ryan Mason, from, from looking at it objectively, of course is going to be really upset that Jota's on the pitch to score the winning goal after you think you've grabbed a late equaliser. And any manager probably feel that way but for some reason Klopp seemed to think how dare he little Ryan Mason have a go at one of my players he didn't he was just in a very straight his whole demeanour on the touchline I know he's a very expressive manager Klopp but there was there was something slightly different about him Hmm. I don't know if he he tried to get the players up for it and it's you know he's trying different things this season because occasionally this season Klopp has said I don't know what to do Hmm. this is this is all gone Pear-shaped. I've got to do my best. I think he'd done. Maybe he'd done something that made everyone slightly overhyper, including himself. It wasn't him. He wasn't himself. Have you worked here with Ryan Mason? Because I haven't. I wondered if you had. Anybody here worked with Ryan Mason? I mean, because he's done radio and he's been. Yeah, I you think know, possibly done a show with him. He's once. a quiet guy. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, um, and he's been put in a position where he thinks he's got to stand up against him and you know show that he's got the because he acted like. Completely out of, out of context, Ryan Mason, where he's running and won't find his fist. <laughs> and I'm thinking, this is a guy that's quite quiet, you know, like, but he feels like he needs. And Arteta did a similar thing, didn't he, with Arsenal? Because they clashed Klopp and uh, Arteta, and, and maybe Klopp's thinking, well, hold it, you've got to earn your stripes, you know, and you're, you're doing this, you're running. I think we're getting off piste here. Like, I mean, none of this justifies Jurgen Klopp. No, he really. waited. Well, you know, no, trying to some explain why it doesn't he explain. Was Any strange... manager can be slightly combative on the touchline, but he runs. He's, he's a serial offender. He ran over to the fourth official yeah. when he scored and got right in his face, and now he's saying he's, he's accusing Paul Tierney of having an agenda again. Like it, it doesn't matter what Ryan Mason did. This is about Jurgen Klopp, mm. and it's like his behaviour is not really. I don't think acceptable on the touchline. No, when he'll get punished. Um, look, Mourinho did it. Fergie did it. I'd even say Wenger did it at times, and there's many others. Conte and Klopp is is of a similar vein. I can't remember. I understand what you mean about the antics on the touchline, but I can't remember those managers saying that an individual. And I will be corrected. I'm sure on this. So it's at, sure at Hugh and Croft on, on yeah. Twitter. But are you sure? Ac- accusing Fergie press conferences. Yeah. No, no, no. Listen, I'm talking about this is this is what I mean. If you can correct me, please do about saying a specific individual has an agenda mm. against their football team. Again, I would be surprised. All the rest, <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a very famous chant, you know, about what Sir Alex Ferguson thinks about the referees. So Mourinho, I, Mourinho so, would name-check referees. About, this is, I'm not, listen, about having an agenda against the football team. I'm not saying that they haven't name-checked referees for having bad performances, being terrible generally, but saying that they have something against me and my football team. That's the thing. That's the point that I'm making. I can't remember those managers basically, you know, talking about the reputation, you know, the integrity of an official in that way. But I am happy to be corrected on that. I'd be, I'd be a liar 
if I if I come on here and then said as a player I haven't managed okay as a player and I haven't gone oh you know who the ref is today Rex you've been there yeah well you've got a ref that you've had and he's given some bad decisions yeah, you think, against you I get that that you uh, think they're terrible I yeah, get that I get I, that everyone know, has been in that position where they go yeah, oh not this yeah. official again yeah. but, but but thinking that an official is terrible and yeah. thinking that they woke up this morning. <laughs> You know, rubbing their hands together, thinking, "Yes, I've got Liverpool today. I'm going to give every decision against them because I hate Jurgen Klopp. He's an idiot, or I hate this player or that player." I don't think these. Uh, listen, no. even if you think that, I can't remember one of those managers coming out and saying that official has hmm. something against this football team. That's what I mean. Rather than saying that, uh, listen, say they're a bad official. He's wrong. Right? I'm not. Week, but. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm just putting in context of what um, <laughs> what uh, the job of a manager becomes is quite funny because they all get caught up in it. I mean, apart from Roy Roy yes. Hodgson, who very rarely says a thing uh, about any. Uh, you know, he's been yeah. an absolute gentleman in the game uh, <laughs> for not getting involved with criticism and referees and linesmen or whatever, uh, but. Uh, he's he's really rare, by the way. Most do. <laughs> and, and, yet, and Klopp will get punished, rightly so. Yeah, and yet Roy Hodgson has one of the most famous clips of a post-match interview. But you're right, I think yeah. it's more about the media than, <laughs> yeah. it, than it is about the officials. OK, I just, look, again, I just think some of this stuff, like I say, is beneath Jurgen Klopp. He's been a brilliant manager. He's still got a brilliant Hugh, group of players. He doesn't need to be doing this. Would you like... It to be in the game or not be in the game? Me, uh, but, but these these characters that come. Would you? No, would, would I, you... no I, I'd prefer these comments were out of the game for sure, because I, I we don't have a game without the officials. Well, we absolutely. I'm not even saying take them for granted. We just kind of think that we can say whatever we want about them. Plus, we keep having this conversation, and there's the broader, you know, context of like attitudes and behaviour towards officials. And and Klopp is, as I said, a serial offender. He was like ran up to his face. Like I'm, I've, crikey, I've been in passionate situations when you score a last minute winner like that but I don't understand what is in his mindset why he's done that he's chosen to do that instead of celebrate the goal what's what's going through his mind there? I don't know I think predicting what you do when it's spontaneous I think if you really could guarantee you premeditated I think yeah. no, but, well, no but I think it just shows us in, in, in Jurgen Klopp's mind he truly feels like the officials had an agenda yeah. against him yeah. and that's why he celebrates to the to the officials rather than Spurs, you know, bench or Spurs players or with his own fans because he probably felt he was more against the officials on that day than he was against Tottenham Hotspur. That's, you know, I'm not saying he planned it, but that's how it it came out in the moment. So I can understand if he truly feels that, then that's why he did it. But again, I'd rather these things not be in the game than in, in them because I think we can be better than that. I'm just saying. Not said for an irrelevant game. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. It was totally irrelevant, but very, very fun. Kind of underlined uh, some of the best bits of the Premier League so far this season. But yes, an utterly meaningless game uh, between Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool at Anfield. Anyway, let's move on to some uh, matches that actually meant something in terms of how the league might end up. Bournemouth moving, I, I say closer to securing their Premier League status. I think they are there. They beat... Uh, Leeds 4-1 at the Vitality Stadium. Defeat for Leeds leaves them 16th, just a point above the relegation zone, regardless of the result between Leicester and Everton tonight. Only goal difference will keep them out of the bottom three a little bit later on. Meanwhile, Gary O'Neill's Bournemouth up to 13th, 10 points clear of the drop zone. So really, 
incredible job by Gary O'Neill and you've got for me like I say that's it for Bournemouth they're going to be safe yeah I mean Gary O'Neill said as much after he said I think he said I thought 36 would be okay and I think you know, 39 were there now. The level with Chelsea, for goodness yeah. sake, they have yeah. to say the same. 36 <laughs> would have been okay. We were talking about this before. Like, it's, I'm not sure that, that the teams they were going to go down will be able to find more than one more win. So it's an incredible achievement because there's been so many ups and downs this season. And picking the team off the canvas during those downs has been arguably his, his most impressive feat. So, like, and he did a great interview in the Sunday Times actually uh, with Johnny at the weekend talking about his kind of. I think it was at Portsmouth when he was when he was a young a young kid coming through, and Michael Edwards was like the the you know one of the first. I think it was a pro zone, wasn't he, when he mm. first worked at Portsmouth in, in a porter cabin, and he used to go in and get all these his running stats and things like that. And he's always been really interested in all those kind of details. And I think he's taken that. And he says he's got a kind of phrase where he says, you know, grab each centimeter. I know it's like stealing a bit of uh, Al Pacino's line from any given Sunday there, mm. but he's. Clearly a details man, and he and he cares about all those, you know, every little every little last detail that can that adds up. And I think they've been it's been an incredible turnaround, a great, an incredible achievement. Everyone wrote them off, and as I say, from so many runs of like you know losing six on the trot or whatever to to bounce back, and now they've won what they're six of the last eight. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. He, I, I went to interview Phil Bill, Philip Billing, and said <laughs> we don't know much about Gary O'Neill. What? what's he like really and he said well he does all the hard work he does all the detail does all the planning but he tells us just to enjoy ourselves mm. I think if you can pull that off A for a team that everyone thinks is going to go down it's under huge pressure because they've been in the relegation zone or close to it for all this, the whole season they're a team that won lost 9-0 at the start of the season and you've come in and you're, you are virtually a nobody it's your first managerial job if you can do all that work quietly away from the players and let the players just enjoy themselves once you've done all the, the gritty, nitty gritty stuff. That that means you've got a great future ahead of you as a manager, I think. I'd, I'd argue as well to, to convince a new owner, a new American owner in both Bill Foley who came in midway through the season mm. to stick with them too yeah. during all those tough points. Yep. Like they've obviously seen enough and probably taken soundings from, from some of the people at the club as well but they've obviously seen enough to think that he was going to have enough to keep them up and, and they've been proven right. He's a great communicator. They're brave. They're brave. He's I really think good that's the key. Yeah. Oh, well, the football they've played is, I'm, I, I like them to uh, Brighton and Brentford who have been extraordinary in their, you know, their ideas of how they play and how they benefit from the t- taking on teams. I interviewed Gary about three and a half, four months ago and... Um, it was quite funny because I, I go, are you okay? And I, I, he said, oh, you say, he said, I was a mascot when you were in Sheridan. Weren't we? He said, I was a mascot for the day. And I, I went, oh, right. He went, yeah. He said, because obviously that was his club, uh, Millwall. And, uh, it, uh, but he was so humble in his way. And not because he just said that, but after a conversation with him, and, you know, you have to remind yourself of what Bournemouth were at the start of the season. You know, Scotty Parker, who went in and had his rant of, well, this like no good enough when he transfers, and yes, they have done business, but they've still got a large majority of that them players that Scotty Parker didn't think were good enough to keep them up. And I, I, when I thought they had a chance, and I was I like everybody else thought they'd go down. I couldn't see them surviving uh, at the start of the season. Um, and the one time I thought when they lost at the Emirates three two, I thought they can stay up. They're afraid of nobody. They're going to try and win games. 
And that's exactly what they've kept kept to, you know, the word was, we're going to... And Gary did say that in the interview. He did say to me, we're going to try and win games. We're not going to draw and we're not going to park bus. We haven't got the players to do that. I did a show with Gary O'Neill and uh, he's such a smart guy. I was just going to say. Yeah, he's such a smart guy. Um, I, you know, I think people sometimes look at his career as well, which I think was a very good career. And he was a very good player. Um, and he actually got better and better as his career got on. And obviously, I think, typified by a kind of bit of quality on the ball, but very, very fit player as well throughout yeah. his career. Um, but actually, just the way that he's gone into coaching with such commitment, you know, add that to, like I say, the intelligence that he has in terms of his football, I, I think he could be a really, really good coach for the future. Yeah, just uh, I was just going to say, he came across as really intelligent in the interview as well. He was talking about how he tries to get over to the players that... This, those, as he said, in those centimetres, those very fine margins are the difference between having a middle in Premier League career and being a Champions League player. Like he was saying that he he actually reflects on his own career and kind of thinks I could have done more, um, or that, that he, he recognised because he was one of those middle in Premier League players that it wasn't wouldn't have taken much for him to to make that next step. No. So he's constantly saying he's trying to get that over to the players and do whatever he can to help them improve and that's got to be quite kind yeah. of empowering for them Remember our conversation at the very start about coaches and managers and the game Liverpool versus Spurs without going back there mm. you know and how much of an impact a manager or a coach can do that's totally the case with Gary, uh, Gary O'Neill Gary O'Neill mm. uh, it's, it is that he's done brilliant Leeds United you know on the other side of, of, of things have brought in Javi Gracia when they needed obviously they had Jesse Marsh at the start of the season. They are far too easy to play against. I watched, I've probably watched their last three or four games and just thought, even when they're in matches, when the opposition get the ball, their ability to get into the final third, nine times out of ten, into the penalty area without much of a challenge or without, not even that, because I think the, the least players still put in a bit of a, uh, a workload, but... You know, without any structure back there where you think, who's stopping them here? Or, you know, them being filtered into a particular area. They just kind of go where they want when they get into Leeds half. It's, you know, I wouldn't even say championship to see, although it might end up there. I look at them in terms of the bottom five clubs in the Premier League and think, despite the fact that they're a couple of places above the relegation zone right now, when I'm looking at how many points are going to be picked up between here and the end of the season, they're the club that I, I say zero. Am I, am I imagining it? I've got a fake memory but I think I think every game I've seen Leeds play they've started brilliantly and ended abysmally there's something they're almost the inverse of Spurs they they know how to get at you straight away they're full of energy and they look like they might overwhelm anybody and then somewhere around the 20 minute mark 25 minute mark it's like there's a puff of smoke and they they then lose their shape and their energy. So again, some, someone in the back room needs to pace them better, I think. I think it's often errors, so though. It kind of sucks the life out of them. I mean, Melly is having a really tough time yeah. in goal. Mm. Uh, but then beyond that, they just, crikey, sound like a broken record, but their defenders just aren't good enough for the Premier League. Robin Cock, what are you doing with that kind of little outstretched yeah. foot? What, yeah. I mean, what was that? <laughs> Liam Cooper just keeps flying into challenges that are like... So reckless, and there's no composure whatsoever. It comes, it comes back to Victor Orta and and Rajazani again. We've spoken about, you know, they seem to be so keen to take all the plaudits when, you know, they're rushing onto the pitch last year at Brentford. I'm sure they'll do the same if they stay up this year. And like, I, I remember reading a, one of the pieces recently about 
he was kind of almost had to be pulled away from fans in the car park at Brentford last year saying that he'd been, he'd been out of the Premier League for 16 he said 17 he got it wrong for 16 years before I came as if like his work has got you know it was, it was him who, who hauled, Leeds, hauled Leeds back over yeah. I think I think the sooner they are rid of them the better and the takeover is complete so this, there's a lot on the line for Leeds now because it could happen this summer the takeover by the 49ers could happen this summer if they stay up if they don't Radrizani might stick around to make sure that he's selling an asset that's a Premier League asset and they might not want to invest in it as well so yeah. there's a lot on the line and they look like the team most likely now conceded 67 goals it's in the Premier League the worst of all the teams the Fulham game away just recently where they lost 2-1 hit the drop Gassier Gassier dropped the two fullbacks in Luke Aylin and Furpo and it's clearly the case of he doesn't know how to get a back four back five whatever way they're going to play together because they look like Gregor said and now was talked about they just look like they're going to and I'm glad you mentioned the keeper because the keeper reasonably he's done reasonably well over the years for for, for Leeds United he's had an absolute his sinker. confidence is short it's, it's clearly a case you need to drop your goalkeeper yeah you need as much as he might be you're really proud that what he's done because he's still relatively very young you've got to change well, he looks your keeper 14 still weirdly yeah, yeah he, he does but it also feels like it's affecting everybody in the back line they feel nervous they're not sure there's no trust between the, the goalkeeper and the back defence and and I think I think he's got to make some big calls if, if Leeds are going to stay up he, the, the manager has to make calls that are going to be proved right because their running is not good you know they've got some tough games coming up Wilfred Nonto was the only positive I took from this because he was back on the pitch the Leeds fans have been calling for him for some time uh, set up a goal for Patrick Bamford but um, it was very lively throughout uh, had one cleared off the line as well I, I do think that he's the kind of player that if you get something out of him for a game yeah. it could be the vital three points that, that Leeds need to stay up but can he play centre half? <laughs> just as well as their current centre-halves yes I think he can actually um, no it's it's just one of those with Leeds United I think they lack composure in both penalty areas at the moment and um, I've, I've said about them throughout the season they're a team that, that if they don't take their chances they'll lose the game but they usually create enough chances to win a game they just haven't been good enough in front of goal so far this season and the defensive thing has been actually an issue for them since they were promoted that's the championship they, they, just, they just haven't yeah, they're a good defender yeah, they just haven't addressed it since they've been promoted and they keep signing play, Wilbur they signed in January as well I think and he's mm. he's on the bench he came on like it's like it's a damning indictment on on Orta like they there've been there's been a few players who you think like uh, Brendan Aron, Aronson's come in um, McKenney's not really you know we, you would have said he's a good signing you would have said that we thought that's a good signing but it's not really happened for him yet he needs some time p- perhaps to settle um, but there's not been many hits and I think that's that's a damning indictment of them 
Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It would have been worse for Leeds United had Nottingham Forest taken all three points this weekend. Heartbreak for them. Uh, late fight back from Brentford took all three points um, and it didn't really help Forest in terms of their Premier League survival hopes. Uh, they were kind of hanging on. They only had 10 men on the pitch after Danilo went off injured and then the substitute, Josh De Silva scoring a 94th minute winner which was only confirmed after a long VAR check. Uh, we went over it just before the podcast, watched it back and it looks like it was just onside. We're only, we're only questioning it because afterwards, Steve Cooper, I don't think this, he's normally like this, but he was sort of implying there was some sort of conspiracy theory going on. He was going, I haven't seen the image. I hope they're not taking, making a judgment call. I hope there is a definitive image. Well, there was a definitive image in the press box. There, there was always clearly one going around. He just hasn't seen it yet. He, the goal was fine. There was no nothing iffy about it. It was a classic case of him trying to be incredibly defensive and Thomas Frank praised him for it. They did they did a good job. They they were quite, I would say, Steve Cooper did the right thing even though he lost because if there's one problem Brentford have is that they're much, much better when they're considered the underdogs. I was at the game where they won at Stamford Bridge and you could argue they weren't the underdog on the day really, but they, they pretended they were and so were able to cope with... Chelsea livening up in the second half and they enjoyed having to defend and they enjoyed playing on the break. They don't really want possession. But Lee's, sorry, Forrest just gave them all the possession they wanted. I think it might have been a record for Brentford in the Premier League. They had 69% possession and they didn't really know what to do with it. I mean, they looked quite pretty with it, but they didn't really know what to do with it. But Thomas Frank, because he is probably the manager of the season... He knew in advance this was a possibility that Forrest, given the plight they're in, would just go for the all-out defence. We don't care if we have none of the ball at all. And so he he didn't react to it. He planned it in advance. If we can't score against them with lots of possession, I've got all my subs set up, brought them all on, made a huge change. One of those subs scored, scored the winning goal. So it wasn't like he got lucky, Thomas Frank. He just knew that was a possibility that Forrest would try it. Nearly paid off for them and it didn't. But they're not... I would agree with you, Hugh. If you're looking at the teams that might go down, Forests do look in better shape than Leeds right now. Much better shape, I would say. 
So yeah, that, uh, Southampton next as well. Southampton next, massive, particularly at the at the City ground. They have to win that. If if Forest do end up going down, you kind of look at the second half of the season and think. It, it would have been the games against the teams around them that cost them because they lost 4-0 at West Ham, drew to all at home against Everton, drew with Wolves uh, as well and then went to Leeds and lost. So And that was a, a kind of short period around early March, late late February. They've still got it, you know, if, if you like, in their hands. They go to Palace on the final day. I think that's a possibility for them, particularly as Palace look like they're absolutely safe. Obviously, the game against Southampton's huge. Go away to Chelsea. I do still think that's a possibility for every team who goes to Stamford Bridge right now. They've got absolutely no confidence. And again, the city ground. I think if if you've been there for a match and you understand the atmosphere that is created and the way that that, you know, lends itself to the performance of the team, there's a chance for them to get something out of the game against Arsenal, which is the penultimate game of the season. The last game of the season, though, at the city ground. So I think being the final home game of the season, having that carrot of playing against, you know, one of the best teams in the league, anything can happen. Anything pretty much has happened in terms of the Premier League season so far. So I wouldn't write off Forrest from picking up points in that game. But um, as, as I go back to earlier, I don't see where Leeds United are going to pick their points up. But... Um, I, I also think Forest aren't playing that badly that over the last three or four games. Obviously, they beat Brighton, but the performance against Liverpool, they could have got something out of as well. Even this weekend against Brentford, not an easy place to go. They could have got something out of the game. So if they keep performing at the same level, they will win, I think, another match uh, in this season. It's just that they're finding, managing to find new ways of conceding bad goals. And just watching this again and for the last few weeks, thinking this could have been much, you know, so different if Dean Henderson hadn't got injured. Kayla Navis came in and you remember he had a really eye-catching debut, yeah, I think it yeah. was, and it was like pulling off safely. You think, oh, what a save. <laughs> it's not been the one. And I think that, that free kick trickling in at the near post, no way that goes I don't, I, I spoke to Mark Crosley, uh, the former Forest goalkeeper, on Saturday, and um, and I'd said about Neves, and he said he's done really well, and then he had his worst game of the season, or, or his worst performance for Forest yeah. uh, in this particular game, and uh, like Gregor. And it's really weird because, and what Alisson touched on is like, them fine lines of, you know, they've, they've played really well and could have, and, and were set up really nicely. The goalkeeper don't make mistakes. They walk away with maybe one point or even three. The, that fine line with Forrest, and they've been a bit like that all season where they, they look like they, they can get something out of a game and for whatever reason, someone stepped up to the plate and made a mistake. Well, we've mentioned them a couple of times so far in the podcast, Southampton, who I think are now gone I think this was the weekend um, and they weren't expecting much out of the game obviously they went to St James's Park they actually went ahead but Newcastle fought back uh, to win the game 3-1 strengthened their place in terms of the top four Southampton now six points adrift at the bottom of the table staring relegation to the championship in the face they've got four games left and I just can't see it happening. Um, but we'll start by, I think, giving some positivity to Newcastle. Callum Wilson came on at half-time, moved on to 15 league goals, getting a couple in the game. It's now 24 points from the last 27 available for Eddie Howe's side. And, um, you know, they're not just going to be making up the numbers in the Champions League, I think, particularly if they can strengthen in the summer and add some more quality players. Um, there's a real harmony there. I've said it before on the podcast. I just think you don't, you can't change too much. That's how well it's going for them at the moment. I mean, yeah, I know it's Southampton, but um, but I think you watch the scenes, the ball hitting the back of the net every time it does at St. James's Park, they just seem to, to get stronger and stronger at the moment. Tony? 
What do you think about it? <laughs> what, on Southampton or Newcastle? Newcastle United. Well, it, you sort of said it there. We, we, we've seen what Newcastle are about all season. We see that they give very little away. And we've talked about organisation this morning on the podcast. And Newcastle are really well organised. They're one of them sides that give you very little. And they've also got players who want to prove a point about being good enough. Willock, Joe Linton... You know, Mur- um, Murphy as well, Jacob Murphy. You know, they've got these type of players and that little bit of stardust that they've got with Isaac, who adds more. Callum Wilson, I spoke to you about Callum Wilson, Hugh Warrior and Qatar. Mm. I've always really liked him because I think if you look at him over a course of a season, you'll probably get 10 goals. You know, at a club even that will finish in the bottom end of the table. And they're quite rare as strikers to get. And he's he may be not the best out there, but I do feel that he'll always ship him with a number of goals. He'll lead the line well. He'll use his presence physically, and he does it really well. Um, so I'm I'm really pleased. I'm watching a Newcastle. I mean, Newcastle's such a, a weird story of where they were not so long ago and where they are now. This is a team that's like, most reminds us of Leicester in terms of how they're getting so much more than the sum of the parts. Absolutely. Now, it seems to have changed for me a little bit. I look at their team now and it kind of, it's like their stature has been elevated. I look at Joe Ellington and Gumaris and Willick and I think, what a midfield three that is. Isaac's got like some yeah, of the things he's been yeah. doing. That, that, that little mazy run against Everton, incredible. And the way that he's, that he's able to switch him and Wilson. And like players like Murphy, we spoke the other week, but he's keeping Almiron out of the team now. So yeah. there's like competition everywhere. And I just feel like what they've done this season... It's. I think the same sort of thing happened with Leicester because you get used to such, such a level of performance. You, you 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 just look at the team differently. You look at what they're capable of, and they look like, as you say, a completely such a together team as well. They've got. So you've got to like uh, uh, completely. We have to keep. We have to keep uh, speaking about what Newcastle is, but we we also have to admire the job that that Eddie Howe has done. I can't, I can't do anything otherwise because I think it's been an incredible job. Just on Southampton, six points from safety, four games to go, all over. Well, you know, does it matter? Because Ruben Sellers always looks very smart from day one. <laughs> oh Jesus! When he was, when he made it very it's clear, very little, though, he didn't, he? he didn't, yeah, he didn't, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be caretaker. No, he wanted to be a top level. Think of me, I'm very important, and I can look the part. So the first time he took the team, he was like, oh, goodness knows how much he spent on his outfit. But it Lovely was neck. <laughs> it was just so immaculate, that sort of look. I wa- he wanted to look like he'd been doing the job, the top job for a decade. And he continues to look absolutely smart. But I think he spends too much time in front of the mirror because there is st- there are ple- there's a team there at Southampton. And I am convinced that if Hassan Hootel hadn't been sacked, he'd have got them over the line. So they've they've made a big mistake at that club. Still think it would have been tough for Nathan Jones. Obviously, it was going very, very badly for him. Or Ralph Hasenhutl, um to keep this Southampton team Well, his team stats up. are better. No, simply because of the squad. I think inexperience has played a massive part in their season. Uh, lack of cohesion, but but really, you know, they've taken a huge risk with their recruitment, and they had big injuries to some of the better players that they bought within that early on in the season, and they just didn't have the experience or the quality to stay up. I kind of find it a little bit strange that some of the players they bought in January haven't been given more of an opportunity 
Orsic, Onuachu, for example, mm. given uh, Sulemana as well, given how bad they've played. I think you brought these players in in January, surely, to try and keep you in the Premier League, and, and some of them have barely featured. So I think that's the strangest thing, but they're gone now. They so still, they're, and, you know, they're going to be stripped. Yeah. I think Lavia, Lavia will go. Looks good. Well, yeah. Prowse will go. Alcaraz looks good. Yeah. Uh, Bella Kotchap I think looks good although he's played in a back you know a defence that's been but do, do you have it within you because their contracts are pretty new to maybe loan them out for a season I think they'll need to recoup some money or do you need them to try and get you up ultimately they're, they're your players you're balancing act, because it? the thing is these players aren't going to be on huge contracts because a lot of them are very yeah. young and a lot of them came yeah. from obscure places so you do have the opportunity I think if, you, if you're Southampton you're serious about being in the Premier League I'd want to keep keep them in the championship. A lot of those players, the money would have to be totally. Ward Prowse will be the one. He Ward will Prowse go. will be gone, yeah, but yeah. he's got a huge contract, so you'd you'd almost yeah. want him off the wage bill. But some of the others will not have huge contracts, so it may be worth keeping hold of them. They're young players, they're inexperienced. You're going to get a bit of a shock when you go to the championship, but you will be playing, you know, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and that's going to help. It's a different style of football, yes, but in terms of that experience, in terms of maybe a more gritty style of football in the championship, certainly a tougher lifestyle, then um, it might be good for those players to go down it's to the championship. It's going to be a weird one for Southampton next year because... Uh, it feels like the club. I mean, I've seen a lot of empty seats at a number of games at Southampton uh, this season, and just feel the young team that they went for and the signings, the type of signings they went for, is they've paid a bit of a price because I've always defended Alan Hansen's comments about you can't win nothing with kids because generally you can't. You know, you just don't. Yeah. Experience counts for a lot, and you know, players improve as they go along. Um, I think they've suffered and. Definitely, Arsenal too was a. I think it was a mistake because you made big decisions last year with the coaching staff, and he stayed, and some of the others departed. I think you made a big call, and you had to stay with it, you know. And um, I don't see them bouncing back. And I know it's easy to go, oh, they'll go down to League One. I'm not going to say that. I just don't see them bouncing back very easily. I think it's going to be very tricky for them. Remember, Wood Prowse has been their top goal scorer this season and last season. You know, he will go out the door. So they're going to have to find goals because they can't seem to find anywhere else with goals. And Ruben Sellers needs to work out what do you wear in the championship? <laughs> I mean, what's well, Ruben, the look? Ruben Sellers, the look? Ruben Sellers look? will not be in charge yeah. in the championship. Yeah. But I think I think what's interesting is, you know, I know it's a very small uh, sample size, but what Vincent Company's done at Burnley suggests that you can turn things around very, very quickly. Yeah. And there's also actually, like, the the bones of something that could be quite exciting for yeah, Southampton yeah, yeah. like there, there was excitement when Sport Republic came in you know uh, Rasmus Ankerson of Brentford you know renowned is, is kind of leading a lot of what they do in the football department and we've seen we've spoken about it there's been some some big hits although they're just kids like they've signed some good players they just went too far in one direction and there, um, are, there are kids in that Southampton squad who would have kids good seasons in the championship it's just whether they want to play in the second Sekou tier. is another one who's, who's like... Sekou Mara, I think would be good. Um, Samuel Adozi, I think he came from yeah, uh, City. from City. I think he would he would be a good player in the, in the championship. Lavia, if they can keep him, would obviously excel <laughs> yeah. in the championship. Defenders, cent- central defender-wise, I think they've got enough to have a good defence in the championship. But again, do you keep Chilet- uh, Carletta Saar, unlikely, Bednarek, unlikely... To Bella be Kopchak to be playing, Bella Kopchak's a German international. So it's very oh, unlikely man. to keep those players. And even the goalkeeping situation, Bazunu was great in League One. Clearly not yet ready for the Premier League. 
could he be good enough for the championship and even um, Alex McCarthy came back in goal at the weekend I think he's good enough to play in the championship so you never know I think look Walker Peters the like there's going to be a, a bit of an exodus they've got Nathan Teller and that would be a big one I saw him recently at the EFL Awards and I said what's Southampton saying to you at the moment he kind of grimaced a little bit because it, look he's a Southampton player but he's desperate to play in the Premier League and he feels like he's found a bit of a home at Burnley and had the most success so far in his career for me Southampton have to have to keep him unfortunately what did you wear at the EFL <laughs> it was black tie <laughs> it was it? black tie so yeah tucks but yeah, tough for Southampton fans to take this weekend and, and um, disappointment for them. Again, it's not over yet, but uh, it would take a bit of a mini miracle, in my opinion, for them to stay up. Let's talk about one of the, uh, well, a couple of, I think, really entertaining games to finish the podcast off. Maybe not with a great meaning either. Although Crystal Palace um, edging a seven-goal thriller against West Ham meant that they reached the 40-point mark. So they, I think, will be staying in the Premier League. Um, Hodgson's led Palace to four wins in six games since he came back. 11 points clear of the bottom three. West Ham five points above the drop and with a game in hand over the two teams immediately beneath them. So they could be safe as well. So really, it's just... I think one of the things that I took a, took out of this game, another game where Palace scored a few goals and looked pretty good going forward, was not... I, I always felt Roy Hodgson would get the results before the end of the season. That meant they would have stayed up. I, I, to be honest, I thought Patrick Vieira would as well. But they've been exciting, Crystal Palace. They've been fun. So whatever Roy was doing in his first retirement... He's kind of come back and said, oh, it doesn't matter anymore, boys. We don't have to defend as much as we used to. Go and enjoy yourselves. Uh, like I said, I spoke to Jordan Ayew and Jeffrey Schlupp on, on, on Friday before the game. And um, they told me, Roy had told them, it's just all about confidence. We're doing a lot of attacking stuff. We just kind of go out there, shoot, have a laugh, enjoy ourselves. And then uh, and then we go out on Saturday and try and do the same thing. So there you go. Well, if you'd, if you'd taken a straw poll of just sort of, not huge football fans, just people who like their football. Said, so what would you expect from a Roy Hodgson return to Crystal Palace? They'd have probably said, oh, they'll probably be really good at set pieces, defending set pieces, and probably quite quiet going forward. Probably be quite dull. I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what he's eating for breakfast now. But they are so exciting going forward. He's just told them, you're very talented, have fun. They were dreadful defending set pieces against West Ham. I mean, I, I just thought, Ball oh my three. goodness, yeah, exactly. So, oh, oh, like they look really flimsy and slightly scared of it. And uh, so he's, he's just, I don't know, classic case of he's got sixty odd years experience of football all over Europe and. He's just decided he he knows it. He's found that sort of sort of quiet confidence where he just knows he knows a good player when he sees one. He knows what players need, and if because I mean, it hasn't changed anything, he's just gone in there and realised that they weren't using their assets properly. They weren't exploiting what they had, and just told them to to enjoy it. What he said, the crucial thing he said, Roy, was that he told the players it. It was down to him. If they attacked and it went wrong, it was his fault, not their fault. If they attack and try a shot and it doesn't come off, it's not their fault, it's his fault. And he's taken that burden of responsibility off them. So all that inherent talent is allowed to flow and it's it's mm. excellent fun. Uh, Gary Jacobs' column in The Times suggested Palace need to be careful or they'll lose Michael Lise very soon. What do you make of his performance? Yeah, he's been outstanding, particularly since Hodgson's come back. He's... Uh... He's just a joy to watch, isn't he? The way he kind of 
every time he cuts inside, you think he's either going to whip in a, like a an absolutely you know impeccable cross to the back post or find the far corner. He's like he's just got an absolute wand of a left foot, and he can always chop down the line as well. He's a, he'd be a nightmare to mark. But you know, Hodgson, as he said, said that we need. I think you know Gary, who always uh, knows the ins and outs of. Uh, of London clubs have you seen that a £35 million release clause had been removed from his, from his contract this season we presume with a new contract um, but they got him for a bargain it's like £8 million. Yeah, and that would have been a bargain so that's a big boost um, and Hodgson said the only thing you know, he needs to add more goals I think he's got two Premier mm. League goals this season You know, loads of assists he's always got he's always had a hand in, in, in goals even when he was coming off the bench earlier in the season I think of a period where he had like the lowest, you know, the best ratio of uh, minutes, goal creation per yeah. minutes kind of thing. So he's a big impact player as well. So I think the world is his oyster if he, uh, you know, he's a bit of a aloof, quiet, you know, there's been some interviews where it's like he just gives one word answers and stuff. He seems to be, I don't know whether the, the only thing that's going to hold him back may be him. I don't know. That's just a guess. Uh, for me, it's, like, just a, it's just a consistency. But I think once... He gets really it's confident. Having a mindset, yeah, yeah, being yeah. a mindset of him being a big player, potentially one of the biggest players in the Premier League. Yeah, like if he's in that mindset, then he can be that. I think I believe he can. Yeah, yeah, for well, sure. It, it was pretty common knowledge in the game that the reason why Patrick Vieira lost his job was more to do with about certain players technically not being able to perform of what they felt upstairs of their capability. Mm. So Patrick Vieira's team couldn't buy a goal. Um, and you know Roy's team have come in and you know you couldn't think you know when you hear when you say oh how can a manager have any sort of relationship with young players when he's a certain age difference you know Roy's the oldest of all the mm. football managers he's got you know still a number of young players at Palace and yet he probably goes well I don't really need to forge a relationship with them as long as they do what I want them to do on the football field and they express themselves that's all I want from them. I don't need to know about what the young footballer needs to do. And I think Roy's smart enough to know that. That just I my job is to get them to show their potential and their ability on the football field. And it does feel like Palace are quite a free team. I'm just going to say, like as brilliant a job as Roy Hodgson has done, this is there again. We're in danger of recency bias here. If Roy Hodgson was to be given the job, I would be very surprised if we continued to see this. Yeah. Roy Hodgson has been type of manager Roy Hodgson has been for several decades so like let's not get too carried away about this no. he's done a great job he's, he's lifted them he's unburdened them as you say so okay, I'll ask you a question Gregor <laughs> if Roy Hodgson was 45 and it just happened what he did what would you say would the answer be if they well he wouldn't have job? three decades of what we've seen evidence of how Roy Hodgson's team have played so I would say give him the chance but we've seen what Roy Hodgson is as a manager over several decades and it's not this on a consistent basis would you want him having an involvement in the football club of some capacity no. or would you literally want to put him to yeah send them on <laughs> <laughs> wow I don't mean like, I don't mean that to be, but, but Mark Samuel wrote this Mark Samuel terribly wrote, rude no, no Mark, Martin Samuel wrote this in his column the other day it's a very valid point like no manager coming in wants Roy Hodgson upstairs when he knows he wants his job so there's no it's not like but then I'm he not, doesn't Martin obviously doesn't know uh, Roy Hodgson no, he sat in a conversa- no, he conversation with Roy Roy is not a guy that's going to be knifing anybody in the back quite clearly be knifing him in the back well, but Martin, like, Mar- he Martin wants the job a, he wants the job more than he wants the job upstairs yeah. so no, that's a pressure no. on Roy would not be Roy would not I can guarantee you now Roy would not take a job upstairs at Palace 
knowing he was hoping that the manager might fail so he could step in I'm again. I'm not saying that either, but his presence there would be something no, that no, would be a pressure no, on the it'd manager. Be so, it would be so avuncular. I think, point. look, can I just add one point? This is a really valid one. I was at a dinner with, next to oh, Roy and I talked, I talked <laughs> to Roy about football and about a job and if a job would come up. Yeah. And he was very open about where he is in his life, about still wanting to be involved in football and would want to help. His, his whole reason to go back to Palace was to help them get out of the mire. So if he thought he could help upstairs as well, he is not going to be an interference, uh, you know, that Martin was alluding to in his column. Because I read that column as well, and I, I think it's wrong. I think it's wrong to think that, uh, that Roy Hodgson would be, be that way. It would be intentional. It wouldn't be like, you know, it's just that his presence there would be, could potentially be undermining if things went, you know, had an iffy patch. It's like, oh, well, we've got him upstairs who, who's come in on, on two occasions now and saved the club. Like, I think he only position. wants to help. Honestly, Greg, I, I completely agree with only you. Only wants to help. It wouldn't help the club. Yeah. It might, well, yeah, for that reason, it might not work at Palace, but it, he could still be a director of, of football somewhere else where he hasn't had the history of being a manager. He could still be a manager somewhere else. I don't think he wants to be a manager somewhere else. Quite like I'm not saying he shouldn't be a manager because he's 75. I'm just saying that if Palace want to take a new direction, he's not the man to do it. Okay, all right. I got to say, Palace did deserve to win this game, but the penalty decision oh, at the oh, end oh, yeah. was incredibly poor. Incredibly poor. Um, I, I, there was no contact with the feet. There was a little hand that brushed the hip. Alla Strictly come dancing, <laughs> and um, yeah. Usually, if you fall like that, you, you don't get ten marks. But uh, in football, it's totally different. You point straight to the spot. It's a penalty and a goal for Eze. But um, yeah, there's no point, I think, reacting to that just to say, whilst we're on the referees on this podcast, that was a poor one. Right, very quickly, Brighton. Um, just a 6-0 win over Wolves, reigniting their their hopes for Europe next season. It was their biggest ever top flight victory. Three players got a brace in the game, um, but they were just a joy to watch. I know it was poor from Wolves as well. Uh, this, uh, Brighton, I don't know. What are they doing? They... They rested the three players anyone's heard of that you, know, you might think are really famous. The, fa- the famous Paul Merson clip from the weekend is added to his showreel by saying, what on earth is the manager doing dropping these three players? <laughs> <Did> he? <laughs> he, he obviously doesn't want them to get into Europe. <laughs> and then they uh, and then, and then they won 6-0. So, but come yeah. on, I mean, it's true, but I can see... Oh, like he, he went a bit far. But, I mean, you would be generally disappointed because Matoma's had the most amazing... He's been player of the season post-World Cup. So, not of the season, but he's had a fantastic period at Brighton. And if you were turning up there, you'd, he'd be the player you really want to see. And he doesn't start. And you think, oh, OK. Oh, there's no McAllister either. And you just think... Caicedo. is the player everyone's linking with, you know, who's going to bolster the midfields, all need bolstering. And all three arrested, and they managed to out Brighton, Brighton's normal, amazing football. So, they are... Uh, they are incredible absolutely incredible it's amazing it's just an amazing yeah. story that I mean look Blue Moan's a club in in Belgium St was, and and I've come from there scored lots of goals there Get comes in didn't have a particularly good game in the semi-final of the cup did he uh, had a couple of half chances gets a brace Welbeck who many clubs deemed were you know finished his days at being the best and is still you know offers a lot to Brighton um, I just, I just think the story is, it's just so incredible. It feels like it's 
it's, 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 it's mystique in some ways of how the owner and the rest of the club, how it's run, and from the recruitment team must be obviously brilliant, and then the type of players they look at is just extraordinary. And I, I trust nearly every decision. Even ones I don't even know anything about. I think, <laughs> well, right, I got that right. Because yeah. everyone else, they keep doing this. This conveyor belt of right decisions is ridiculous. And, the, and it, look, it's the bravery to go for a lot of these players at a particular age where nothing is, is destined. You know, it's signing 18, 19-year-olds, some of them even earlier than that. And um, Ferguson. Yeah, and, 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 and managing to get them into the first team in such a short period of time and performing in the Premier League. It's also seeing seeing more from some players like Pascal Gross. Yeah. I mean, he joined them in 2017. But he, Gross has always been an incredibly intelligent player and the, his ability to play. They played him in so many different roles. Yeah, but he's played as, a, he's played as an auxiliary right back who's yeah. playing as an auxiliary yeah. number 10 this season. Yeah, yeah. Like I know he's been intelligent, but he's doing things that this season I've. I haven't seen really I've always before. thought he was well do you know what Dunk. I support Man United so Lewis, I've always thought he's a great player because he scored six or seven career goals against us so he's always popped up and had great performances and, against Manchester United and Lewis Dunk Lewis Dunk was like the epitome of Chris Hutton's head it and boot it centre half mm. and now he's taking he's playing the most like line split and, uh, passes like out of yeah, any defender in the Premier League but Dunk should have been in, playing for England for the last four well, years well it's easy to say that now but if he's playing in a team like this three or four years ago maybe he would have he was playing in Chris Hewitt's oh, team Eric Dyer was in the England I team. mean you could go through <laughs> 90% of the Brighton team and you can just go wow every one of them is just from left back to right I mean Veltman at right back has been a, yeah. to me I, I watched him he's one pace he's not he's not the most gifted but he does a great job when required and when called upon the most exciting bit there's more to come from Billy Gilmore I knew you'd mention Billy Gilmore. Do you know the one mistake? I don't know if you discussed this when I wasn't here, but the one big mistake Deserby has made this season is not bringing Jason Steele off the bench for penalties in the semi final. Because he is renowned at the club as being the better penalty saver. And he, he didn't bring him on. And I just thought, well, that immediately thought, well, you've, 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 not, got, you've not got to the final, mate. And they didn't. <laughs> okay. All right. I, I so think he's not I'm... perfect. No, he's not perfect. No. no. I, I, I mean that's a big question I think Brighton are kind of gearing up for him not to be the manager next season so it's kind of an interesting one to see if they can build on what he's currently no, doing up if he's not there mm. yeah but I think I think they kind of know that he's going to have job offers that are too good to turn down alright fantastic from Brighton got to be said but um, finally just because you're here Tony wanted to talk about a man who's very much cut from the same cloth as you as Manchester City beat Fulham and Erling Haaland scores his 50th goal of the season in all competitions uh, a penalty very early on he became the first top fight player to reach half a century of goals in one campaign since Tom Pongo Waring did for Aston Villa in 1931 so it's quite incredible what he's doing. He also moves level for most goals in a Premier League season with 34, same as Andy Cole uh, for Newcastle and the amount that Alan Shearer got for Blackburn a year later. But I don't really want to talk up uh, Haaland too much. We've done that a lot. Julian mm. Alvarez in this game, winning the penalty, scoring a brilliant winner as well. For me, I just every time I watch him, I, how can you stay at City? How can you stay at City? Because you're way too good to be a sub. And the rumours are that, that that everyone kind of knows that Erling Haaland's not going to spend the rest of his career at 
at Manchester City and so they're desperate to keep Julian Alvarez to the point that they, they want to offer him a big new contract lengthy contract now and there were some rumours that he wanted to go to Spain and play for Barcelona because they were rumoured to be interested lots of rumours 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 mm. um, but ultimately if they keep him he's one heck of a player I think there's you probably go for any of the whole team of Man City players in or out the team that clubs will want because anyone who comes into the team does brilliantly well and he's certainly one of them. I think his desire, um, athleticism and just enthusiasm for the game has stood out for me. It was like in the World Cup. You feel like Argentina got came alight when he was on and because he didn't start the tournament for Argentina, did he? You know, um, and then as the tournament wore on, he got caught up in the euphoria of Argentina and he's brought that to City and he's not been a, a player that feels like he's given a, you know, given a right to be in this team. Haaland's done so well. I just love the fact that he played Haaland and you saw him playing in a more slightly deeper position, but that ability just to run in between people. And his goal was well, probably the goal of the weekend. It was a great strike. How, mean, can you, how can you just talk like that when Tim Ream has a broken arm and just pretend it didn't happen? I didn't realise. Broken arm. Definitely broken. Yeah, no one talks about it. If it had been a City player who broke their arm, well, we wish Tim Ream all the best, Alison, but it was still uh, a fantastic performance from Manchester City. Uh, Haaland and Alvarez, absolutely brilliant. I, I mean, I don't know how long they'll be able to keep hold of either of these players, to be perfectly honest, because if they win the Champions League in particular, I'd give Erling Haaland another couple of seasons before Real Madrid, you know, probably break another bank so that they can sign another world-class player that scores uh, 50 odd goals a season and then and then Alvarez I'm not sure how, if he'll wait to be perfectly honest because for me it's his intelligence and his awareness I mean the little drag back for the goal even the, the you know it's not just the touch off the knee slash thigh to deceive Tim Ream but it's just the kind of delay on that run to allow the ball to actually come into that space and across him He's just so good, Alvarez. And I just a player that we don't see enough of, really. And I'm just hopeful that we will get the chance to do that. Um, hopefully not in the FA Cup final uh, next month. But um, <laughs> uh, apart from that, I'm, I'm more than happy to see him playing. Anyway, guys, thank you so much for being with me for this length of time. Gregor Robertson, Tony Cascarino and Alison Rudd. And to all of you for listening, remember it's Monday, so check out the game. All the best of the weekend. Pick up a paper. You can go online as well, thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game, or you can download the Times app wherever you get your apps from. Much more football on the way this week. Massive game for Leicester and Everton tonight. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe Chelsea will kill Arsenal's uh, fading hopes of winning the Premier League title on Tuesday night. More games Wednesday night as well. So plenty for us to discuss on Thursday. We will see you then. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.